welcome to Trek Companion episode 22. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing DS9's fourth season episodes, sort of Kalos, Our Man, Bashir, Homefront, and Paradise Lost. And we are going to do Homefront and Paradise Lost as uh, one discussion today. Here we go. The Sword of Kalos, Season 4, Episode 8, Production Number 481, Original Air Date, November 20th, 1995, Teleplay by Hans Beimler, Story by Richard Dannis, Directed by LeVar Burton, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include John Colicos as Kor, Rick Pascalone as Tural, and Tom Morga as Soto. Worf prepares to accompany Dax and Kor, a legendary Klingon warrior, on a mission to the Gamma Quadrant to recover the Sword of Kalos, the lost mythical millennium-old weapon of the Klingon warrior Kalos, the Empire's first leader. When the three recover the sword, they must fight other Klingons to keep the sword, as well as each other. Can Dax control Kor and Worf from killing each other to control the ultimate power in the Klingon Empire? I understand. It's hard to sleep in the presence of something so magnificent. Someone might try to steal it. You reveal your own intentions. Enough! I have the sword, and it's not going anywhere. One thing I thought from this episode, if you were a fan of caves, (laughs) you would love this episode. This would probably be the favorite (laughs) episode ever made. I really, really like caves. I'd have to agree with you, Brian. Yeah, so like a spelunker? This is a spelunker's favorite episode. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree, man. I re- they were in the caves quite a long time. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, originally this episode, the story was conceived as more of like an Indiana Jonesy kind of thing. You know, there were there were going to be booby traps going off and, and um, you know, I don't know if there was a big boulder to chase them, but there was a lot, <laughs> lot more stuff like that. Budgetary constraints. Say what? What was that? Budgetary constraints that stopped him? Well, it's sort of budget. I mean, apparently uh, it wasn't directly because of, say, the cost of those kinds of of gags, but it was because it would. They all those things would have taken too much time to set up. Um, uh, given that all three of the principals that are in ding near every shot are heavy makeup people, because normally that sort of thing they'll have one person in makeup while they're just getting these other shots off and stuff. But here you had to have everybody for everything. So what we got was a lot of caves. um, (laughs) But there are some things I like here. Uh, The moment we actually find the sword, I love that moment. It's great every time. It feels pretty big to me. Mm -hmm. Music, it all swells. That's pretty exciting. The sword's fairly impressive. Yeah, the sword looks really cool. You get points for that. Um. Well, uh, let me let me hear your thoughts, uh, Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I I think it's uh, it can get drab because of the same sets over and over. There's no real B story and that kind of thing, and so it just it gets that can get tiresome. I remember I remember liking it more the first time because yeah. it had a lot of connections with history. I mean, you've got the core character with has original series connections. They make references to you know that history and so forth they make references to the Kalex the Kalex that was um you know yep. created uh, at Boreth yeah which all that's cool um but yeah otherwise the episode's a little drab because of the you know it, do you think if it had a B story and they'd left the caves a bit more and Maybe, maybe. I mean, if they couldn't solve the problem of having drab sets that are redundant, maybe they should have just had less of the uh, 
wharf core sparring stuff a bit, you know, and then they have some other a story they could cut to, maybe, perhaps. So this is going to take me straight to... The, okay, so... The, the bit of controversy from this episode was that a lot of people felt like Core and especially Worf, who we obviously know better than any other character. I mean, there, we've seen, hey, Worf is, as we said on the show, literally in more episodes as a principal character than any other Star Trek person. So we know the character pretty darn well. And it does seem like a stretch that he goes to this point where he wants to take over the Empire, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It seems like it's going too far for his character. It seems like it's going too far for Kor's character. Now, you can argue that maybe there's some kind of a, um, you know, power or something coming out of the sword that makes a Klingon do this. But that was definitely not the writer's intention. And the writers were upset uh, that people felt there must have been something like that. They th- they thought like it wasn't. They felt that it wasn't going too far. They felt that you could just have this, this um, mythical, you know, this sword that just has so much history to it uh, that at it, by its by merely touching it, you know, they're driven emotionally in these directions. And I'll tell you, still, when I watch it, it doesn't work for me because I think it is going too far. I would almost prefer that they had, even though it would have been lame, I would have bought it more. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I, it, you're telling me that just the power of this sword with nothing else is going to drive Kor and Worf to try to kill each other and take over the Empire? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, only, the only excuse Worf might have, maybe he's a little delirious because he's been stabbed in the shoulder. <laughs> maybe he's a little feverish or whatever. Um, watching this, though, I mean, you know, the, the ending is is cool, but I also think they could have just went the other way, and maybe they, they could have just retrieved the sword, you know, we could have, you know, would have been another wharf moment where he does something great for the Empire and, and still is shunned at the same time. Um, but they decided to go this way. I, I, I do like the ending where they give it up and, you know, the whole, you know, if the sword's meant to be found, it'll be found. And the whole thing, um, we were meant to find it, but we weren't meant to keep it. I like that whole ending. I think they could have gone the other way as well. And maybe if they would have went that way, they wouldn't have had to go through all this, you know, conflict between Core and Worf. But well, it's the way they decided to go. What do you think of all that, Steve? Yeah, um... Yeah, I, I would I would say I think you're right with the whole notion of that the that they that is it's not very believable and that uh, and as far as the ending uh, goes, I, I was I was reasonably satisfied with the way it, the way it wrapped. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of it's a it's it's one of those the episode as a whole feels like kind of a shame to me because they bring back mm-hmm. this character that's 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 fun and interesting and has such trek history and then really the notion loved. is so historical yeah. but they kind of they kind of um, blow the execution a little bit mm-hmm. well i i kind of see like his motivate you kind of see core more so in this episode and you know what was the last episode we saw him in when he was with um kang and um korloff yeah. yeah, and his friends die. And we see that a little bit in this episode where, you know, he's fantasizing about being with them again. And I think he's probably having a little trouble. But, you know, he was part of a, a, a threesome, and now he's the only one left. And you can kind of see that's making him a little bit crazy. So maybe that's yeah. his excuse for why he goes off the deep end a bit in this episode. You know, he wants that glory. He's, you know, he's he's lost without his two brothers, basically. They were part of his identity, if you will. 
and um, they're gone. I'll tell you, my, my favorite scene in the episode is that brief scene when Core, uh, they're on the runabout, and Core comes out and he tells that story about his dream where King and Koloth's statues mm-hmm. come to life and he's with them again. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, mm-hmm. it's, I love that. That's my favorite moment in the whole episode. It is a good moment, that, and that's where kind of I derived that where what I was just mm-hmm. saying earlier that he's kind of he's looking for that that past connection. Well, we see Core again in DS Nine one more time, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what is the next time? I don't remember the story. Um, Which one? Isn't that where Worf Worf lets him command a Klingon vessel? Oh, okay, yeah, something about that. Yeah, and yeah, right. he. Yeah, it's and they fight the Dominion, and that's where he dies he, in glorious it comes, death. It comes off better than this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it, it comes up feeling a bit like a missed opportunity. Um, one thing I think it's a little significant is um, one of the earliest uh, significant interactions with Worf and Dax, you know. Mm-hmm. For sure. Especially um, knee-deep in Klingon culture. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't recall getting that feeling that they were going to hook him up, though, from this episode. It no, was just no. Me- I like that, um, you know, she doesn't quite trust him enough because at this point, because after that, that scene where uh, Kor is hanging on to the bat lift, like he's falling over the ledge, and uh, Worf tells him there's a, there's a ledge down there just to let go, and he refuses to do it, and then eventually they pull him up, and uh, Worf and Kor walk away. Dax bends over and checks to see if Worf was telling the truth about the ledge sitting there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, you know, and I think that's the scene they could have done without it. It made Worf look like a bad guy, pretty much. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really? I mean, we all I mean, well. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, though. Yeah, the next scene is her walking up to Worf and saying, "I saw that ledge. There's no way they would have held him." You know, that's the first moment where you're like, "Okay, there's got to be something else going on," because Worf isn't a cool He's not like killer that. like that. Yeah, no. mm-hmm. yeah. So, I mean, maybe if they, I think they might have, could have made a better decision with that scene and it might have, you know, because both, I mean, when I'm watching this episode this this time around, I mean, Worf comes off a little worse than Kor. I mean, Kor's always been a big talker and he just, you know, he, from what we've seen of him, he just likes to talk a lot. And yeah. In Worf's case, he's talking and then he's kind of doing something about it at the same time. So, <laughs> to me, Worf kind of comes off worse than Kor in this episode. Well, if nothing else, he comes off worse than him because... Obviously, who's going to win between this old man and, you know, (laughs) Worf? So, um, uh, well, you guys got anything for what this is about? Um, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, you go in the direction of uh, how power corrupts and that kind of thing, I suppose. Yeah, I I think that's what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Power corrupts absolutely, but you know, okay, <laughs> fine. Not that not um, that they actually had absolute power, but you know, it is a good. I mean, it's a good story. It's a good concept. I mean, I I didn't watch this. Ep- I didn't watch this episode and come away going, "God, that was just awful." But yeah. but did you did you feel the same way as Steve said he felt, and that I I felt too, where. I remembered liking this episode a lot more than I did. Yeah, um, I, w- I would agree. And um, I think we were talking about, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we were talking about this 
we, we talked about the caves. I'm like, they were just in the caves forever and they're walking. They have to sleep at night. I, I mean, how long are they in these things? I mean, how deep <laughs> in the ground is this museum? I mean, I, I got the feeling this, this place was actually a museum, not like a, a vault. <laughs> yeah, do people then, have to walk all that same caves to get down to the Yeah, no, and it's like buried. To today, sure. Well, because it takes two days to walk down. And I, I know, and I know, it's kind of uh, lame to complain about tech, like techie kind of things. But the first, like, there's a few things like that where it's just like what you know, unrealistic tech stuff. The biggest is a whole pack of Vulcans was at this place, like checking it out <laughs> or whatever. And then they walk in and like a minute, look get they that get force field force down. Field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really, come on. Yeah, I agree. Not I you're, you're saying that um, people had gotten in before and ransacked the museum and in a thousand, what, no, in 1400 years, nobody figured out, nobody found the hidden wall that Worf found in 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a stretch. So all those kind of things would have been more convincing if they'd had all the booby traps and gags that they had originally mm-hmm. wanted to do. Yeah, maybe if they, if they would have set it up more as like a um, hidden vault stronghold, but they kind of set it up as like a museum with other pieces and artifacts. So. so it's funny, you know, today we're discussing um, um, a couple of episodes that were not what the producers expected. They thought this was a pretty good episode, and most fans, it sounds like us, agree it's not one of our favorites. Uh, but they all, especially uh, Ira Bear, really were upset with how Homefront and Paradise Lost turned out, but I think most fans, you know, would take those would take those episodes that were sort of Kalis any day. Um, um, well, definitely those two episodes have more um, are more intricate into our society about how societally we are, especially today. It's we just we'll weird. Get, yeah, we'll get into that. Usually, uh, you know, we're we th- we're, we think the same way as the producers do. Mm-hmm. You know, they know when it's a great episode. And we agree, but here it's pretty flipped. It's unusual because they thought Sword of Kalos was pretty good, and we didn't. <laughs> so let's move on. Uh, six degrees for Sword of Kalos. Um, Steve. Yes. So uh, you know this one's a little bit more difficult because there was there wasn't much in the way of people that uh, played roles again. So these are a little bit more trivia. But anyway. Uh, Steve, John Colicos reprises his role as Kor. In this episode, Kor remarks that he had a dream where he was rejoined with his old friends, Kang and Koloth. In the original series, each of these three Klingon characters were featured in separate seasons. Who was the first making this actor slash character the first prominent Klingon ever seen in Star Trek? Okay. So between Um, Kor, Koloth, and Kang, each one was in a separate season. Who was in season one? Who was the first? mm -hmm. I do believe that the answer is core. You are correct. It was core. Uh, for a bonus non-point, do you remember the episodes? Errand of Mercy. Oh, all three correct. of them? Core oh, and Errand of Mercy. Second season, of course, is uh, Trouble with Tribbles with Koloth, and then uh, Kang and Day of the Dove in the third wow, season. Wow, you nailed that. Wow. <laughs> better don't give you extra points, though. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. I feel bad about it. <laughs> Adam, Rick uh, Pasqualon plays Tural, son of Juras. Worf tells the story of his last meeting with Tural, played by J.D. Collum, uh, in which Worf spares his life because Tural was simply a pawn of his aunts. Who are his aunts? Um, That's an easy one. Well, the, the Duras sisters? What are um, the names? Yeah. Oh, the Duras sisters. Oh, I thought it was okay. an easy one. Perhaps not. Um, 
Larissa. That's one. And um, did I, I didn't just hear some keyboard clicking, did I? That's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my keyboard clicking. Larissa and um, uh, Baylor or Baylas. I don't know. Baylor, change one letter. Come on. You're so close. Baylor, Bay, um, Michael Bay. Wait, um, no, um, um, Bayla, Bayla, No, it's, um, Steve telling what it is. Bator, yeah. Bator. Yeah, it's Bator. I don't know. That was so close. Should I give that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, most of the components were there. I mean, they're all sisters, <laughs> Lursa. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right. Yay! Yeah. All right, good. That well, wasn't gonna... wasn't clipping on the keyboard. I would have got it, Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Yeah, Jura's sister should be sufficient. Okay. Our Man Bashir, Season 4, Episode 9, Production Number 482, Original Air Date, November 27th, 1995, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Story by Robert Gillen, Directed by Winrick Colby, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Max Grinanchik as Rom, Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington, Melissa Young as Caprice, Marcy Brickhouse as Mona Loves It, and Andrew Robinson as Garrick. Bashir is enjoying a holosuite program that casts him as a super suave 1960s Earth secret agent. When Garrick intrudes on his fantasy, convincing the doctor to let him stay. At the same time, Cisco, Kira, Dax, and Worf and O'Brien transport from a runabout just before sabotage causes it to explode. But the force of the blast blows out the transporter during Eddington's rescue attempt. He is able to store their patterns, but the computer stores them as characters in Bashir's 007 fantasy. And when they start fulfilling their roles, Bashir and Garrick must walk a tightrope to save them without getting killed. A lot of cake for a 45 dom. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Bashir. Julian Bashir. You know, when you open your episode with Garrick and Bashir in tuxedos, <laughs> you're probably going to do okay. I don't know. It doesn't take a lot after that. That's, that's a good start. Um, of all the hollow, the, this was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Um, it's, you know, it's, you know, if you're a Bond fan, you know, it's kind of got everything in there. Um, I still, <laughs> I, I had to stop myself from cracking up when Steven was reading his, um, production. <laughs> Mona loves it. It took me a second to start on my summary because <laughs> it was, I was like, that's pretty good. I mean, you could, you could definitely see that in a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am a big fan of the Bond films. Steve, I know you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, Caesar, I'm not sure how big of a uh, fan you are. Yeah. I, I am a big fan. Um, we could talk about the the newest thing, the newest ones another time. That's, that's another <laughs> program. But yeah, I'm a big Bond fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely enjoy this episode. Um, I do. This is the first time I, I saw it, and I thought, if you weren't a Bond fan or really in, any of the '60s spy movies and TV shows. Um, it's it would take away a lot from this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much it, fun it would be if you if you weren't into that stuff. Um, you know, my only real complaint here is uh, we've we've seen so many times you know holodeck 
hmm. program goes awry and you know now somebody could really get killed or whatever you know and there is a they do have a new take on it here this idea that um people's physical boy the science in this episode's a real stretch though <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, physical form is actually in the holodeck simulation and if you were to shut it down they would be killed mm-hmm. um while their neural patterns are in the rest of the station and by the end of the episode we're going to have nog or, or rom um put them back together <laughs> <laughs> but my my feeling is is that they had this idea for you know for a bond like episode and um they took a note from stanley you know they just found a radioactive spider to, to bite somebody and that's that's how it worked they just they were like you know what it doesn't really matter how we get them in there we'll just make some silly explanation and then we well, can have our fun story i i would agree if that's how the order really happened i would be with you but actually it happened in the other order they really came up with yeah they came up with the idea for this transporting malfunction so they could get in a finally get in a holodeck story and then they came ron moore separately came up with the idea of of the 60s really? spy thing being Brashear's fantasy so uh yeah the order doesn't um save that but at any rate <laughs> all that stuff aside if we just ignore the science as we're so often uh, asked to do <laughs> um yeah, and forget about the idea that we've seen the holodeck goes awry storylines far too many times it's certainly fun to see all these people in a you know james bond episode and we and we've got all the tropes um all the different characters all the scenarios all the names um I love this scene when uh, Avery Brooks as Benjamin Sisko as Dr. Noah, um, <laughs> when he has his, you know, there's the, the scene where the villain uh, explains his entire plan, which is always one of my favorite scenes in the Bond movies. <laughs> and, and it's really fun here. Um, we even got uh, the music. Was this Jay Chataway, Steve? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, nominated for an Emmy. This episode was also nominated for another Emmy. I forget for what costumes or hair. I don't remember. But oh, anyway, yeah. uh, the, the music in here was, was something we'd never hear in Star Trek. There's like mm-hmm. muted trumpets and guitars. <laughs> you know? It's cool. It's 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 a lot of it's a lot of fun. They have a, uh, the, the nice hybrid between Star Trek and James yeah, Bond. Yeah, there's actually some DS9 themes in there with like muted trumpets, <laughs> um, which is neat. Uh, Garrick doesn't have a lot to do here. Um, but he except, to, except, take offense, except to take offense to the spy genre, his his idea of being a spy. Right. I mean, I think it's, on the whole, you give it a buy for most of this stuff just because it's so fun and it's just a comic episode. But I think Garrick is kind of the one, I don't know, one of the more serious elements of it. Because one, you have the notion of a spy in a spy shtick kind of scenario. So you get that commentary and that's entertaining. And then later on when he, you know, is, is showing his true colors and wanting to save himself and doesn't care who, who has to be sacrificed, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing. And uh, Bashir having to shoot him and stuff, you know. That, for for me that was that, uh, that was probably the one scene that I didn't like in this episode. I thought I, I thought they maybe went a little too far with Garrick because um that I mean especially to, at the end of the episode where they're both okay. I mean if you ended up having to shoot somebody to save other people, I think that would uh, cause a little <laughs> rift in a friendship. I don't I don't care how good a friend. Yeah, yeah I agree. And they, and, and they kind of just blow it off, and I'm kind of like you know what they kind of went a little far with Garrick there. You know, anytime, he's kinda, anytime you go ahead. 
Oh, I'm just saying this. I would have expected this from maybe first season Garrick, but you know we're in the fourth season and he's grown. I, I feel he's grown as a character, and this was kind of a step back for him, at least that particular scene. And I, I didn't like it. I didn't feel like you know we were talking about Worf earlier and how they kind of messed with him in the last episode. I kind of felt like they did the same thing with Garrick here. And, and I agree. They they went too far with Garrick, um, but mostly because and and then only it's only one scene. You know, so it's not like Worf in the last one where it's like the entire narrative is based on going too far with Worf. But but it's just one scene with Garrick where he goes too far and yes, he wants to save his own skin. And I, it just doesn't feel right for him, it, like you said, being four seasons instead of the first. But what bugs me about it is I don't really see the point. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what narrative purpose does it really serve that he says, let's shut it off? I don't I don't understand. Is it just so that, so that we have an extra moment where Bashir is more, even more of a hero. I'm not, I don't understand. What's the point yeah. of that scene when, when we're talking about the scene where, where, you know, Garrick wants to leave the hollow, uh, suite and possibly sacrifice, um, Cisco and crew so that he can save not, himself. Yeah. So that he can not die. So I just don't see the point of the scene. That's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they just kind of have to write it, you know, sure has to be like, oh, it's nothing. You know, you tried to kill everybody I would care about, but, you know, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, Um, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. There wasn't a point to it. But other than that one scene, you know. it's Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, Major Kira as a KGB agent? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have to say, you know, anything except that, really. Hmm? Yeah. It was nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mona loves uh, it was nice too, you know, while she lasted. Who? Oh. Mona loves yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I got a question. I mean, um and DS9 in particular, do they have more episodes where that are kinda like this where you have primary characters kind of getting to play different different types of roles you know we see it in the um you know the alternate universe episodes and we're gonna you know we're gonna see it again later on in the series was it um beyond, above the beyond the stars or with cisco when he has his fantasy stuff yeah well far beyond um, the stars is different far, in that those 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 uh roles are well, sans my, makeup and stuff it's not it's not it's not like here you have you have dax the trill as honey whatever her name is honey bear well, my point. Well, my point being, just um, they get to play something different than what they are, but in the same context, of, you know, like that. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about that after I watched the episode, especially. You don't really see that in Next Gen. I don't. Maybe a few times of Voyager. I was just thinking, you know, you see that more often in the Deep Space Nine series than probably any of the others, where they're playing alternate roles in the same episodes. You know, I don't know. Was this something I th- was thinking? Yeah, of? no, that's so not that important. That, that was certainly very, very infrequent on the original series. It seems like it's more prominent here than uh, than um, Next Gen. Um, one of my favorite episodes of Voyager, I don't remember the name, but it's... Uh, oh God, what is the name? The one where it opens with Janeway giving that speech about all the evil things that they're going to do, and then she says, it's the Starfleet way. Remember that one? Uh, and by the end of the episode, you realize it's all like in the entire episode, none of the primary characters are actually in it, which is 
crazy. Right, but one right. of the few times they ever did that in Star Trek, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you know when they get to do these different things, it's always fun. Um, and this episode is no exception, especially if you're a Bond fan. Um, don't want to go over in time on this one. It does start to lose a little bit of its meaning uh, whenever it just comes off as an homage. So, you know, I watch this episode every few years and I enjoy watching it. I'm wondering if it holds up as well, you know, if we don't have as much to say about this in terms of what it's about, because it's it's almost like a a conversation that's being told with nothing but movie quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have a lot of substance to it. Um, If you like the movies that it's quoting, then it's fun to watch it, as long as you don't watch it too too often, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, I I would say this one's more about pure entertainment value than really anything else. And, you know, surprising me, we have come to the conclusion in our podcast that every now and then that is totally okay. I didn't think that we would think that collectively when we started this podcast, but... That's definitely the, the conclusion we've reached. And that, so that's cool. And that's all right. Um, if that's all that it is, fine. Just let it be a fun romp. And, it, and it's something a little bit different than you get from say, um, science fiction series of today. You know, um, I'll just use Battlestar. You don't see a fun episode like this in, you know, the new Battlestar Galacticus or some of the other new science fiction things, you know, because their seasons are more condensed into, you know, maybe 13, 15 episodes as to opposed to what, how many episodes are in the season? 22 at least? More. 24, 25, Six, so. Think, yeah. yeah, 26, I think. So, I mean, you know, they were, they had the flexibility to have a little bit, a little bit of fun in their writing and creativity. Well, and, even, you know, DS9 being the most serious of all Star Trek shows, it's still, you know, they still have yeah. levity frequently. You know, they're not like, it's not dark like the Battlestar you're just not referencing, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That was the first one that popped in my head. But I, I yeah. don't, you know, watching yeah. science fiction today, and am, 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 am I wrong here? Like, um, it seems like series have, have been condensed into yeah, everything's less than had 20. To get darker and grittier, and there's fewer also, episodes. Yeah, there are fewer episodes per season. Well, honestly, 26 was already a stupidly high number. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they, always, they should have done 24 even 22 but um so i don't really have much for what this is about you guys are agreeing with me on that one yeah Yeah. i agree so we're giving it a pass on what it's about (laughs) although it does make me think as i said a series of movie quotes maybe isn't fun if you don't like those movies (laughs) but we do like james bond and we are glad that he will return including in six degrees for our man Bashir. Um, so once again, I don't have much in terms of you know people to work with for our normal type of trivia. So, uh, Adam, go for it. Our man Bashir is an obvious reference to 1960s spy adventures. In fact, the title is a reference to a particular film starring James Coburn. Name it. Mm-hmm. 1966. James Coburn. That would have been. Um, Coburn. Colburn. Colburn. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's... This episode is titled Our Man Bashir. Um, God, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Um, I can't think of it. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to hate myself when Steven answers it. I cannot... It won't come out. 
So Steven, is he going to hate himself? <laughs> I'm racking my brain here. Um, let's see. Oh, this sounds right, but I'm not sure if it's this what you're talking about. Is something? Is it R Man Flint? Yeah, R Man Flint. That is correct. <laughs> uh, that I was sixty six. And I remember the movie now. I remember it's quote, isn't it quoted in Austin Powers? Oh, it kind of felt like they made an Austin Powers reference in this, and they said something about ostentatious, and it made me think Austin Powers. But that <laughs> had anything to do with it, but still. Yeah, Austin Powers did quote Armand Flynn a lot. Even used that little that little musical motif that was in Armand Flynn. <laughs> um, in like Flint was the sequel uh, made made a year later, nineteen sixty seven. So what do we got here? Two to one, Steve. Dax's character is named. Um, I can't read my own writing. What's your name? Honey Bear? Mm, yes, yeah. Honey Bear. Uh, Ursula Andress's character in the first Bond film, Dr. No, also starts with Honey. What's her name? Honey Blank. Oh, boy. So I'm assuming Honey Bear is a bit of a reference to Honey... <laughs> right, right. Uh, this sounds really familiar, and obviously I've seen the movie. It's just been a long time. Um... Uh, I'm blanking. I can't get it. Adam from from Doctor No, you said. Yep. Um, honey Bear, and that's her first part of her name is Honey, right? Yeah, she comes out of the water in that uh, bathing suit. Remember the scene? Can't remember the name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that movie is fifty years old. Do you realize that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Just a few months shy of fifty years old. That's, yeah. That's. Um. All right. Honeybee. No, her name is Honey Rider. Oh, yeah. Okay. Adam Caesar. What, what is the sexual reference in Honey Bee? I have no idea. I don't know either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Homefront, Season 4, Episode 10, Production Number 483, and Paradise Lost, Season 4, Episode 11, Production Number 484. Original air dates, January 1st and January 8th, 1996. Teleplay and written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Directed by David Livingston and Paradise Lost. Directed by Reza Baidi. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy and Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Robert Foxworth as Admiral Layton, Herschel Sparber as Juresh Inyo, Susan Gibney as Erica Benteen, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Dylan Chalfie as Head Officer, David Drew Gallagher as Riley Shepard, Mina Badi as Security Officer, Rudolph Wilrick as Academy Commandant, Bobby C. King as Security Chief, and Brock Peters as Joseph Sisko. An explosion at a Federation Romulan diplomatic conference on Earth has killed 27 people. Most disturbing is the evidence that the bomb was set by a changeling, meaning the Dominion has reached Earth. Sisko and Odo are summoned to San Francisco to advise Admiral Layton, the head of Starfleet Operations, on the Dominion. Once there, Layton informs them that effective immediately, Sisko will be in charge of Starfleet security on Earth. Soon after, Earth's entire power relay system goes offline. When Layton blames sabotage, he convinces the Federation president to place Earth under martial law. But when Cisco finds evidence that implicates Leighton, he must go against his old friend and captain to stop him from taking control of the Federation. That's what we're trying to do. What you're trying to do is to seize control of Earth and place it under military rule. If that's what it takes to stop the Dominion. So you're willing to destroy paradise in order to save it? Mr. Caesar, kick us off. Um, well, there's a lot of, um... 
there's a lot of you know stuff that's relevant in this episode about intrigue and you know sabotage you know taking over to save something you know i'll use our country and as an example you know patriot act you know we set all these limitations on our citizens to keep them safe and there's a lot of a lot of those things in this entire episode that kind of <laughs> translate into our own society so it's fairly it was interesting. very telling in that this ep- these episodes you know were, were before 9-11 and before things like the patriot act but um, you know they're they're not old um they're not old con you know history has a mm-hmm. has a way of repeating itself it's not like yeah. things like this didn't happen like the Patriot Act things like that didn't happen during World War One or two in this country it's just just you know what kind of crisis dictates it happens you know mm-hmm. but yeah you're right it's um I would say it's kind of funny it's a little bit more relevant I guess after nine eleven than before. Seeing as we, yeah, what's well, happened so in the last decade, more relevant to us, I yeah. suppose. Um, it's very ominous, you know. It starts off with the Cisco and his line of, um, you know, the Dominion has reached Earth. You know, that reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, the Borg have <laughs> reached <laughs> Earth. It's, it sounds that ominous to me. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot these episodes did wrong. I mean, you know, it, it, from the very beginning, um, it's got, you know, gravitas. I mean, you have that video where you see the bomb and the and the changeling and then it, the, all the intrigue and suspense. And, and then you also have the element of the family is part of that, too. And they, they you know, with, uh, you know, Cisco and his father and Jake and all of them together. And that and that's a I think um Joseph Sisko is a great extension of that family, you know, of what we've seen with the father and son. And uh, I mean, it all, it all just really works. They put, they do it all well together in this episode. Yeah. So let's talk about Brock Peters as Joseph Sisko for a minute. And this is his first appearance as Joseph Sisko, although we're going to see him several more times. Um, perfect, perfect casting. You know, I, I believe that he is Ben Sisko's dad. Mm-hmm. I believe Ben Sisko is his son. Um, we're going to get a lot more information about the mother in the future <laughs> um but it it's it's great and you know there's still a sweetness between them you know where you can see where sure. ben's relationship to his son comes from um that just really works um so in Homefront, <clears throat> probably my favorite moment in that episode is uh um um Joseph Sisko uh, refuses to take the blood test that is now required of anyone who is a family of a senior Starfleet officer. Or maybe it's all Starfleet officers, I forget. Uh, and, and Joseph Sisko doesn't want to do it. He said, I didn't take an oath to Starfleet. You know, I have rights. <laughs> your, your son and I have rights. You know, we shouldn't have to do this. Um, so it's, there's a nice um, argument there, and, and there's a lot to be said for what that's about, even. Um, and then the the moment that I love so much, um, Joseph Cisco cuts his finger. He goes over to uh, he, he's you know he's obviously at his restaurant. He cuts his finger while he's cutting some vegetables. He goes over to wash his hand, and Ben Cisco is staring down at the blood on the cut knife, wondering if his father was a changeling because he refused to take that test, you know, and, and then. His father looks over at him and says, they say like his full name, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Benjamin Lafayette, La- Lafayette mm-hmm. Cisco, Lafayette, Benjamin Lafayette Cisco, you know, 
it's a it's a great moment there, you know, because Ben is realizing. I can't call him Ben. I just want to call him Cisco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just be very, very confusing. Uh, Benjamin Cisco. You know, he's realizing that maybe, maybe all this is going too far. Well, it's the fear, you know. That's you know the fear that's driving them all, you know, and that that's you know ultimately you find out that's what the Dominion or you know Odo the Changelings want. They that's how they infiltrate people just based so, on rumor, speculation, and, and fear. And this is what this is what terrorists do. So in this yeah. first episode, Homefront, you know what it's about for me is something slightly different than what Paradise Lost is about. So Homefront, what that one's about to me is, <clears throat> you know. How much of your own liberties can you give up before you sacrifice the very freedom that you're trying to preserve? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and mm-hmm. that is definitely something sure. that we saw in our country. You know, we had those. We asked those questions. Maybe you know, after the stuff like the Patriot Act. Um, anybody, you, you can't get on a plane in this country without thinking about <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and those are important questions. Now, Paradise Lost to me is a little bit more about the idea of um, you know do you obey an unjust order and this idea that <clears throat> Cisco is being asked to violate the oath that he has taken at, so that he can preserve the same oath so it's this weird like um, paradox, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I was in the army and uh, that was always a very fine line that they really couldn't explain to us. You know, it's like, you can be held accountable for following an order that is actually unjust. It's the one yeah. time <laughs> when you're supposed to refuse orders. Now, okay, it's something absurd, like, you know, go kill that guy for no reason. Okay, yes. <laughs> we would all agree about that one. But it's the stuff that's the gray, you know? It's the stuff in the middle. Or where it, it, it defeats the whole point of having this absolute um, rank military system where you obey orders without question. Well, in, in Paradise Law, um, to me, they kind of let um, Cisco off the hook with the um, O'Brien changeling scene. I like the scene. Uh, it's it's a good scene for me. But um, if you're somebody's enemy, why would you why would you tell, give them that much information? Because um. Uh, you, so you, O'Brien, the changeling, he's you know he's telling Cisco that there's only four changelings on Earth. Yeah, so it, it, they, it, it didn't it, have anything to do with stuff like the power going out. So he lets him off the hook. It, let, it lets Cisco, the character, off the hook. It makes his decision easy for him. It's like, well, if there's four people here, why should we be doing everything that we're doing to ruin our society? So I mean, that's um, that was you're the, right. The, you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but you, you're right. That does kind of. Um, negate the power of the question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. Well, my, I had written down about that scene. I didn't really understand why the changeling would even do it. Why would he come to Cisco and tell him these things? Yeah, I don't and, understand it either, but it, 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 that's... On, on one hand, maybe they, they would rather Earth not have this extra defensive, these extra defensive measures going on. But since there's clearly no imminent invasion... That should be kind of irrelevant. So really, why not let everybody stay paranoid? That's what if that's what they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you. I mean, you could chalk it up to hubris. I mean, these aren't the Borg. I mean, they do have emotions. You know, you could have a you could have a founder who's. Hey, I'm going to throw this in Cisco's face here. I mean, there's no really other yeah, good he does explanation say in that scene. We are going to defeat you. He says something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's a lot of ego there. A lot yeah. of arrogance. Mm-hmm. Well, I hate to say this, but that that also made me wonder about kind of the order of events. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but. The episode opens with, oh, the wormhole's doing this weird thing where it opens and closes, and it's been, didn't they say, like, certainly it opens with that, and they, I thought they said it's been doing that for a day or two or more, mm-hmm. and then we go to Ops and we hear, oh, there was this explosion. Now, did they say the explosion, that they don't word it like, this happened a week ago. No, they word it like, it just this happened. just happened, just found out. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah I think so. So... We know that the wormhole opening and closing was created by Admiral Layton. So not created, not done by changelings, but done mm-hmm. by Starfleet officers to make us think the Dominion was coming through the wormhole and cloaked ships, right? Yeah, so it doesn't make any yeah, I see. And also we had this explosion. So are they saying that it's just coincidence that the first time the Dominion really does some terrorist activity on planet Earth happens to be around the same time that Admiral Layton is doing yeah. this, but starting his whole master plan to take over uh, the United Federation of Planets. Yeah, the timeline. The timeline suggests that's the only real explanation. Well, they probably, they probably the, had other, the other possibility is that, it, that the thing that would make more sense would be if Layton. Set caused the bomb it. Yeah, I mean it's and not that, out of the that, question. That seems, I suppose. Yeah, that seems I'm, like uh, just too far. I'm yeah. guessing they probably edited themselves into a corner with that. They probably <laughs> didn't have anything to cover it, and so they just kind of ignored it. You know, it's one of the, you know, when you get, you know, you're an editor, Brian, that kind of thing. Sometimes you get, you edit yourself into a corner. It's like, well, you know, maybe people won't notice that. So, well, that, uh, that's possible. That would have been after Cisco gets to the to planet earth he contacts ds9 and they tell him oh look the wormhole just started doing this weird thing where it's opening and closing that would have done it that's all you had to do yeah but they probably you know it's probably just an organizational thing they probably and you know they didn't want to go back and reshoot that time thing and they just probably just left it alone and just said well, so, so my question was i just wanted to make sure that admiral Layton hadn't gone so far where they weren't trying to say it all you're, you're saying that it was just a mistake mm. and it wasn't that Admiral Layton had gone so far as to kill like 27 people with that bomb. Right, right. And I think they cleared that up. I think um, if I'm mistake, mistake uh, correct me if I'm mistaken, doesn't um, the O'Brien change like take credit for the bombing in a way? Or, no, I don't remember that. Steve? I could be wrong. Um, I don't specifically recall that in the discussion, no. Hmm. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to chalk that up to, as just... They didn't want to go back and reshoot a scene just for that, and they just kind of let it go. Okay, so that didn't bother you either, Steve? Not really. I mean, you you definitely have a point, but it didn't occur to me. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I wasn't paying much attention. I don't know, but yeah. yeah. You're the only one who, who looks that close, Brian. De- de- <laughs> def- definitely, a, definitely a problem in the timeline, but yeah, I didn't yeah, think I, about I, it. I would agree with you, but yeah, I, I'd agree it's a problem in the timeline, but I don't think it was... I don't think they were looking to implicate Leighton in that bombing. Okay. Hmm. 
Um, on, a gruesome, on a gruesome note, I, I found the, what was it? Um, Joseph Sisko's description. You were talking about the scene a little while ago. It's like, you know, I'd take a, take the first person I'd si- find and suck <laughs> up his blood and hold it inside <laughs> me. And then when they wanted to test me, I'd let it out. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of gross. And he's, and he's <laughs> got a good point though. That I wonder if they even thought of, you know, well, he has a good point when he says there isn't a test that people can't come up with a, a way around. And he's right because we know for a fact yeah. that the changelings have some way around those blood tests. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's Star Trek. There's a fact at this point in the timeline, but we're gonna know soon about Martok. Yeah. yeah, especially in Star Trek, there's around every kind of like test or technology mm-hmm. or force field, whatever you whatever you can think of. Um, did Odo do a Vulcan neck pinch? <laughs> yes, <laughs> kind of looked that way, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious why um, Leighton wouldn't have locked up Odo either. You know, he just kind of like, okay, I'm going to lock up. I thought that too. At least they should have had a line like, we can't find Odo or we're trying Mm -hmm. to find him. Something like that would have cleared it up. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's worth mentioning here that, you know, like I said earlier, we talked about um, Sword of Kaelas, which the producers, the writers thought was really good. And fans didn't seem to care for it as much. Um, These episodes, Homefront and Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost in particular, um, the producers, especially Ira Bear, uh, felt like they were not the great episodes he had hoped they would be, mostly because of the budget. He wanted these to be so much bigger, and they did them pretty small. Now, originally, this story, this this general story of, um, you know, just a couple of Dominion terrorists uh, wreaking havoc on planet Earth. Uh, with paranoia, this was to be the season three cliffhanger and season four opener. Uh, but before season three finished out, they found out that they were going to be doing this, um, uh, bringing Worf on this big um, Klingon thing, uh, and they had to delay this. So it ended up not happening. You know, you do your big episodes at the beginning of the season, uh, which is September ish. And then you spend a lot of money on this big sweeps episodes, which is November-ish. And then maybe the finale at the end of the season. So this was like the middle of the season. And they didn't, they only had their, this is like not only their normal level of budget, this is probably the area, the time in the season when they're trying to save money. Mm -hmm. Um, So he feels that it wasn't as good as he wanted to be because it didn't have the money. But it's interesting because it's really, for them, it's always a question of how do they originally imagine it? versus what it became but for us for the star trek fans watching star trek television it is what it is you mm-hmm. know um so for me i always i always like these episodes i think they ask a lot of cool questions and budget be damned i think they're asking the same questions they would have asked either way mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it's scary but when Homefront ends and you see armed troops in the streets and you only you see like three armed troops in front of joseph sisko's but we're telling it from we're not telling it in some global scale. We're telling it in what I think of as a more human way. We're telling it just from looking out the window of Cisco's restaurant. So that's yeah. okay with me. I don't need to see, you know, stormtroopers um, running down the street. <laughs> yeah, which is what I think they originally wanted to do to show us, you know, all around the world. You I didn't, know, you know what, I didn't I, need that. So it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt the episode that much, as nearly as much as he thinks it does to me. I, I would agree because the story is strong. When you have a strong story, you don't need a lot of the bells and whistles in most cases. And, you know, and it works for me too. You know, I think maybe if this was overly, you know, CG'd or, you know, 
you know, you could always use another um, battle scene, but I think they had a pretty good battle scene at the end of the, end of the um, Paradise Lost scene between the Defiant and I can't remember the name of the other Federation ship. That was fun. They spent some money there. Um, tall, I think. Look at yeah. tall. Yeah. But I'd agree with you definitely, Brian, because um, th- when the story's strong, you, it's th- that's what that's what you're paying attention to is the story, mm-hmm. and the story is definitely very very strong in these two episodes. Yeah, it is. Cisco has a great line, and I think it's in Paradise Lost. Um, once they start placing everyone around the planet, uh, Paradise has never seemed so well armed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, and I, now I, I talked earlier about um, what I think each one's about, and you could certainly make the argument that they're both even more thematically unified than I implied by giving a different definition of what I thought each episode was about. Um, but what do you guys have for that? Do you, do you, do you, do you just put them together? Do you think it's a little different in each one? No, I more have? or less agree with what you're saying. I think, and I think each of them have their own tone for sure. I mean, I watched them back to back. Um, obviously in the original run, you didn't have that option. You had to wait a week, yeah. but um, what uh, it felt like, I think they do a good job in this aspect. It felt like, yes, it's a continuation of the story, obviously. At the same time, almost immediately, the the second the second episode takes a turn, you know, and you have the whole notion With of... the wet red squad being involved. Yeah. Oh, okay. So something uh, is going on here that's not about the Dominion, necessarily, and so on. And, and so, yeah, I'd agree with your assessment on what it was about. Each one individually. And Adam? Yeah, um... They both have their own feeling, whereas the you know the first one is about fear, a fear of what we can lose, and you know, the second one is about uh, you know, power can corrupt, in in a way, you know, like Admiral Layton, you know, even at the end he was struggling to hold on to power, and they both definitely have a different different feel to me, but they're uh, you can they're you can see watch them individually or watch them as a whole, and that's be. So, you know, how much of our liberties do we give up to maintain freedom? Um, that's a question that's probably going to be valid forever. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. You know? yeah. um, so that's why these episodes are going to hold up. And uh, that's why we have an answer for what it's about, and we're going to continue to do so. And we like these episodes. I like these <laughs> a lot. Six degrees for Homefront and Paradise Lost. What's our score? It's two one or three one. Two, I think I think two one is right. Two one, right, right. <laughs> that's very that's very defensive. So who has what? Who has two? Uh, Stephen. Stephen. Okay. Um, let's see. Adam. Yes. Uh, Susan Gibney plays Commander Erica Benteen, Layton's right hand woman. In uh, Next Gen, she played Dr. Leah Brahms in the episodes Booby Trap and uh, Galaxy's Child. There was a significant difference in her character between these two episodes. Name it. Um, Well, one, she was a hologram, and the other, she was actually the real character. That is correct. My questions are just too easy today, aren't they? <laughs> well, I've missed a few. We've both missed some. All right. So at 2-2, Steve, let's see if you're going to win this one. Uh, Brock Peters makes his first appearance as Joseph Sisko, Ben's father. He's remembered well for playing the traitorous Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, but he also played Cartwright in another Trek film, Name It. Hmm. All righty. Huh. He has the line, get him back, get him back. 
Um, not a hundred percent. Is it uh, four? That is correct. Star Trek four. When they're, uh, Kirk is talking to them on the big monitor and the weather is making the signal uh, okay. go in and out. That's him cool. screaming, get him back, get him back. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's, fun. that's funny. He's in this episode. What was it? Paradise Lost and Homefront, you know, because he, he played the traitor's admiral. You know, he kind of yep. did the same thing with the Klingons. Kind of oh, a and, I, reversal. and this reminds me, and I know I've said this before, but here we are with another example of what happens to people when they become admirals. What's the story? They all go nuts, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they all go to extremes. How many times in Star Trek and all, you know, all the series do we see nutty admirals? It's just all the time. Except for the last, we get an admiral. What's the admiral's name that comes along in DS9? Who's oh, Ross, basically yes. Admiral yes. Ross. He's, right. But he's but boring. Most, he's a very boring guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly yeah. the one-shot admirals, you know, come in and it's like, oh, look, I've gone nuts. I've been promoted, you know. <laughs> Well, even Kirk went nuts as an admiral, if you think about it, too. That's right. He had to get busted back down to a captain. <laughs> so we finally got the exciting news this last week. Did you guys watch the trailer? I put it up on our um, yes, indeed, yes. page. Star Trek The Next Generation is getting a high-def transfer. They've gone back to the negatives. Uh, they're cutting negative, And they must just be freaking eyeballing it. I don't know. I just It's got to be crazy how much time this must be taking. Yes. Another interesting thing they're doing, though... At least the first, I don't know how many seasons of Next Gen, they were, they were still doing the effects work. At least like if they were shooting models or something, they were shooting all that on film. It was just composited on video. Mm-hmm. So for even for the effects, they are going back you know, and scanning uh, negative. So it should be a little bit more uh, like uh, the original series. They did their little HD version, although they could have done it all just as a simple HD transfer. Um, They redid effects just to make them look more modern when Mm -hmm. they did them in high def. And that was totally in the computer. But for the beginning of next gen, what we should be seeing is a little bit more of a hybrid between, you know, what it originally was. And so stuff like, I don't know, phasers or something, those effects I'm assuming were all in the computer, were all in in the analog world. And they would have to redo those in a mod with a modern computer. But for the most part, my point is, we expect to see like Encounter at Farpoint, just like it was then, except in HD. <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah, I hope so that's the I case. I'm excited for the first time in a while to get to see Next Gen like that. So what they're doing is they're, they're putting out a sampler disc at the end of January, which sucks because I thought it was supposed to be out before Christmas, darn it. So the sampler disc comes out at the end of January, and it's, it's going to have Encounter at Farpoint 1 and 2, and um, Inner Light, uh, what's the other one, Sins of the Father? Yes, that's right. Okay. And then they said by the end of next year, which is the 25th anniversary of Next Gen, they will start putting out seasonal box sets. So if nothing else, go ahead. If nothing else, it's it's a reason to be excited because you know if these sell well, we will get DS9 and Voyager. I'm sure. Yeah. So people listening, buy these. Lots of them. Buy (laughs) fast, furiously. Yes. Yes. Can, Can you trade in your DVD box sets for a discount? Uh, I'm sure you cannot do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be shocked if that happens. Expensive, you know. Um, How were they? I mean, I haven't seen how I'm I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen the original series there on the whole their whole redo on the on the effects and stuff like that. I'm assuming both of you have seen them. How are they? Are they cool to watch or they they obviously went out you know that's another thing we should say about this this next gen remaster mike and donise and donise mike and denise okuda are both involved um so that's very mm-hmm. good 
Um, now, the, the original series remaster, what do they even call it? Did they call it a remaster? I don't remember what they called it. They, they remastered them so many times that they started changing names. But yeah. what you're talking about is, is when they redid them in HD. Now, of course, the original series they shot and finished, they cut it on film. So they were already kind of HD. But they redid the effects work just to make it feel more modern. But they obviously went way out of their way on the original series uh, to keep those effects looking like they did then. You know, if it was a long, slow shot of a ship, which is about all they could do, they kept it a long, slow shot of a ship. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't do anything that made you say, oh, wow, that's modern. No, they didn't do anything like that. That said, I still felt like they were hit or miss. Like some of the time they'd be awesome and some of the time they wouldn't be so awesome. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I'm, I'm more, I was more thrilled just with the notion of them being in high definition to begin with. I mean, sitting there and watching it so pristine and the colors yeah. and it's clear and everything, you know, colors that's... Pop. Now, Steve, you, I know you've watched all the original series on Blu-ray. Uh-huh. Did you watch it with those newer effects or? Yeah, I did. I mean, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I suppose one could watch both ways, but I wasn't going to go that far. You know, I went, <laughs> I, went through, I went through all of it and watched them with the new effects. Yeah, and, and and yeah, that's that's what it is. It's it's fun to watch, and a good chunk of the time, they most of the time they fit well with it. Um, there were times it felt like a little bit out of place, but it also could be that I've seen them so many times, and it just was odd, you know, seeing new effects and so forth. Yeah. Well, one interesting thing about about that, though, watching it with the new effects, because, you know, I bought the Blu-rays. I watched, I don't know, at least half of them. I just haven't gotten around to finishing the rest. But the fun thing about it is it's it's kind of just a new way to watch them, because we've mm-hmm. seen them so many times, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, I, honestly, that's the most exciting thing for me about Next Gen in, in mm-hmm. high depth, is yeah. it's not just an excuse to watch them. It's a chance to watch them differently than I've ever seen them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yet, it's still going to be true to its original nature. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to wonder, by the time you get into, certainly by the time you get into later DS, you know, just now, fourth season of DS9, we're getting into stuff where we've got whole shots, like whole scenes of CG, like mm-hmm. in space and stuff. And all that stuff was obviously just rendered completely in SD in the computer. So if they were to ever redo DS9, stuff like that, they couldn't just say, okay, well, we, we shot the model with film, so we're going to scan that in negative and now it'll be in HD. No, they would have to like... Like the was it the, our last episode where they were uh, starship uh, starship down where they were in the gla- gas giant the cloud mm-hmm. all of that would have to be completely redone from scratch in HD there you know yeah so it would have yeah. to be different yeah there's no more model work from this point on right isn't it like the the second there's or third still, season? there's still some like in fact we just an episode we watched we talked about today uh, Paradise Lost that Excelsior class ship that I again can't remember the name the Lo- what's it called the Lakota I think Lakota Lakota. Yeah, Lakota that was a model that was actually the same that was a redress of the model that was used in Star Trek Generations for the Enterprise B yeah you, you so were that, uh, go ahead but by the time DS9 finishes like the big battles with the Dominion and stuff that's all CG you know um Voyager has a great portion of it in CG Enterprise <laughs> I don't even know if there are models in Enterprise. And it's nice to see the Excelsior class is still around after, what, probably 100 plus years. <laughs> That's, a, you know, That's an old ship. One, yeah, I'm going. Hey, uh, they wanted to retire the Enterprise after only 20 years in Star Trek Three. <laughs> <laughs> We're very excited about getting next-gen and high-def. And uh, Yes. I'm going to be the sucker that buys the sampler and then rebuys the seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where I'll put that sample after the season's <laughs> are out. Okay. 
<laughs> your son doesn't need a bedroom. You can just he can just sleep in y'all's <laughs> room. You know, you can put them all in there. All right. So, if you aren't following us, uh, if you aren't a fan of ours on Facebook, you might have missed out the link to that. Uh, tr- trailer that paramount put out or cbs put out about the next gen high def which is really cool you should watch it because it actually has a couple of seconds of next gen and high def um and you should that's uh, facebook.com slash trek companion um you could also do something super awesome and leave us a review on itunes that'd be the coolest thing you could do um what else you could follow us on twitter uh, we are at trek companion and finally you can send us an email at trekcompanion at gmail.com um, we thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. iTunes, iTunes. Weeks. Right, right. <laughs> so we will see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited too, Brian. <laughs> okay. See, I'm you know I'm supposed to come up with like some kind of a sign off. Everybody says I should have like a sign off. I don't think kind I'm of, excited. Kind of peace out thing or whatever. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah, peace out. <laughs> What it is? Yeah. <laughs> How about this? I got it. I got it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. See you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye.